Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. So I have a question for you. Does darkness exist? Or is it just the absence of light? See, you wish you had waited to answer that before I gave my second part of the question. For example, here's a picture of something called Vantablack. It's uh, one of the darkest materials ever. It's a picture of two identical masks, if you can believe it. The one on the right, this is not Photoshopped. This is, uh, it's, it's coated with this substance. You see the difference, right? All right, let's look at another one. This is, uh, it looks like a Photoshopped black dot, but it's, it's actually a, a three-dimensional sphere, and it, but it looks flat because of uh, the way it is. This is an article from Artnet that explains. Artists the world over were instantly captivated three years ago when UK-based Surrey Nanosystems announced the invention of Vantablack, the darkest material ever made, and things continue to get dark. The company has been advancing the technology, some astonishing photographs and footage of the pigment in action. If you see videos of it, it's even, uh, it's even crazier. But they, they have to be seen to be believed. A video released last year by Surrey scientists show a new development of the process, a coating so black that our spectrometers cannot measure it. When a laser is aimed at the uh, Vantablack coated surface, it vanishes completely as if no light were touching at all. If you see it on a 3D object like crinkled foil, the coated side still looks like a black two-dimensional flat surface. You saw that, right? Um, especially with the mask. It's only when you turn it around and you realize it's got a lot of dimensionality that you grasp how different it is. The fusion eye-wrenching Vantablack coating is billed as blacker than black and lives up to the claim. The light eating material can make you doubt your perceptions of what you're looking at. Solid three-dimensional objects suddenly become flat voids, holes in the space-time continuum. Black holes are probably blacker, but you know, not by much. They kind of created a black hole there. How does it work? Well, uh, what they do is they absorb almost uh, over 99.9% of the visible light. Uh, because they line up the atoms of the substance. All right, so unquote. Third, create darkness. They have created a substance which taps almost all light from coming off of that into our eyes, right? Which makes us appreciate light, doesn't it? Yeah. Light is an amazing and necessary thing. You don't realize how valuable and fundamental, fundamental it is until you see its absence, right? Even if you close your eyes, right, which you can, you know, you might, I don't want you to sleep during the sermon or anything, but if you close your eyes, you notice there's still light. It's not totally pitch black, right? 
light is uh, important. It's also a, the first part of the created universe, right? If we read in the Genesis narrative, it's the first part of the first day. Speaking of light, <clears throat> what is the brightest and most radiant thing in our universe? Going the opposite way, right? No, I'm not talking about Eric Friedman. I'm talking about what? The sun, yes, the sun. Remember when there was a solar eclipse a few years ago? The, authority the authorities reminded us not to look directly at the sun, right? Even if it's partially obscured by the moon, it's right without special glasses. Again, speaking about the sun, not about Eric, okay? Although he is very bright. I'm sorry I'm picking on you. I hope you don't mind. Okay, he's, he's okay with it. All right. This talk about darkness and light reminds me of a quandary in the creation story. It's an interesting puzzle. On the first day, as we mentioned, what is created? Let me hear you. Light, yes. And what is created on the fourth day? Does anyone know? The sun and the moon and the stars to order and organize the light. So the question is, how is there light before the sun? Have you ever thought about that? Well, here is one way that the rabbi solved this problem. This is uh, from the Talmud, records this conversation of uh, rabbis using different scriptures to back up uh, what they're saying. So this is from Chagiga 12a. The God poses a question, and was light created on the first day? But isn't it written, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven? This is the seventh, day, the fourth day. And is also written, and there was evening and there was morning, fourth day, indicating that light was created on the fourth day. So why, how do we resolve this? The Gemara answers, this should be understood in accordance with Rabbi Eliezer. As Rabbi Eliezer said, the light that the Holy One, blessed be he, created on the first day was not that of the sun, but a different kind of light through which man could observe from one end of the world to the other. So this is a special kind of hidden light. But when the Holy One, blessed be he, looked upon the generation of the flood and the generation of the dispersion, that's the uh, exile, and saw that their ways were corrupt, they might misuse this light for evil, rose and concealed it from them, right? As it is stated, and from the wicked, their light is withheld. So the rabbis use other other verses from other parts of scripture to, to back up what they're saying. And did he conceal it for the righteous people in the future as it is and God saw the light that it was good, keto, and good is referring to none other than the righteous as it is stated, righteous that it shall be good for them, they shall eat the fruit of actions. When the light saw that it had been concealed for the righteous, it rejoiced that it is stated, the light shall rejoice. Proverbs 13.9. In other words, the light of the first day of creation was something unique, right? Darkness, remember what was going on with darkness? Darkness was on the face of the deep. God said, let there be light. It is perhaps a hidden light stored away for the righteous in the messianic age, revealed in the Messiah. Our tradition is implying that the luxion is the presence of God in sin. Do you think that this rabbinic idea fits the new covenant writings? I, I, right? Consider the prologue of the gospel in light of the rabbis, pun intended. 
Here we go. Yeah, sorry. I'm working on my jokes. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Things were made through him. Apart from him, nothing was made that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not powered it. Let's say that last part together. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness overpowered it. And then a, a few verses later, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only God, others embrace, has made him known. Interesting, right? The last part of the prologue implies that the word, the light, the divine son has illuminated the face of God, he has seen the brightness in a way no regular human has, right? Can't even look at the sun, much less the, the glory of God. Yeshua is a brightness of God's light, mediates that light. In a sense, he is that light. The creative is written to give us a sense of order, triumphing over chaos, over darkness, life over death, fullness over emptiness, right? We see that in the Christian story, what God is doing. And there's one more of of that of uh, ideas uh, in the story in this week's Parsha, in the Exodus story, and that is freedom triumphing over slavery. Read about the last three plagues to hit the Egyptians, and they are all related to, interestingly, to darkness, to light, and to the sun. We're going to see that. In so the eighth, you know what the eighth plague is? Locusts, yes. All right, so let's read it together. In uh, So Moses went to Pharaoh and said to him, this is what Adonai of the Hebrews says, how long would you humble yourself before me? Let my people go so they may serve me, or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your borders. They will cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the ground or the earth. They will eat the remainder of what escaped, whatever is left from them. Every tree grows for you out field. So verse five, let's leave this up for a second. Verse five is here translated, they will cover the face of the earth. But the Hebrew is really interesting. It says they will cover the ayin of the earth so that you cannot see the earth. What is ayin? Does anyone know? That Hebrew word? The eye. Very good. All right. So the eye of the earth, the eye of the land for Egyptians, Egyptian mythology, what do you think that is? What did they call the eye of the land? The sun. Very good. Right. So in other words, uh, the locust would most likely cover the sun to create this darkness so that you can't see the earth. Because otherwise, you know, there wouldn't, you can't imagine that there would be enough locusts to cover actually all of the earth, right? So you couldn't see it. So what are they covering? They're covering the eye of the earth, the sun, right? And the covering the sun uh, uh, to create darkness is just like the next plague, right? So there's a theme here, the sun and light and darkness. Notice, notice also in this passage, the nature of destruction. It's all the opposites from the creation story with many of the same Hebrew words. 
It's the destruction of what? The field and fruit bearing trees, destruction and other plagues of the animals, destruction of the waters. Remember the waters turn into blood, destruction in the skies with the flies swarm. These are all the categories of creation, but, uh, but reversed in, in terms of their direction, earth, seas, and skies, right? Animals ordered in creation to be ruled over the humans. What's going on now? right? Now the animals are ruling over the human. We were supposed to rule over and protect them, but they're muck, right? Continued and blatant rebellion against God causes him to stay his hand of creative power he uses to uphold the universe. From life, in other words, to death, from order to chaos, from light to darkness, from fullness and flourishing to emptiness and famine. This is what happens in the plagues in the Exodus story. But we know, hallelujah, it doesn't end there, right? Yeah. By his grace, God sustains and continually holds up all life, continuing the creation story. He didn't just create things and then just walk away, right? He continues to sustain us. He spreads his light even for all people. Even if we make mistakes, even if we falter, even if we fall short, he holds us up. But for true evil, those who are bent on opposing the goodness and light of God, the Pharaoh in this story, he will eventually, not right away, but eventually give over the natural outcome of their choice. And he will withhold his hand that sustains order and life. Normally, he sends rain to the righteous and the unright, right? Normally, he, he, he upholds all of us, even no matter how many mistakes we've made. But this is a, a kind of a unique category. The category of Pharaoh is very narrow, right? But it is important because God does confront evil. Fascinating exchange after Moses delivered the news about the upcoming locust destruction. This is a few lines later. They do kind of a negotiation. Let's check it out in Exodus 10, starting in 8. So Moses and Aaron were in, go serve Adonai your God, but who will be going? Moses answered, we will go with our young and our elderly, our sons and our daughters. We will go with our flocks and our herds, for we must have Adonai's feast before him. But he said to them, so may Adonai be with you if I ever do let you go with your little ones. See clearly now, evil in your face. Interesting to say, right? Evil is in your face. Not so. Go now the men and serve Adonai, just the men, for that's what you were seeking. Then they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So he's thinking, you know, if I can probably just keep the men, if, if just the men go, then they'll have to come back to Egypt, right, to get their, you know, the rest of their families, so they'll never leave. The rabbis puzzled over that phrase that I read, evil is in your face. Why would Pharaoh say that to Moses? Well, there's probably a couple of reasons, but uh, here Hebrew is helpful. What's the Hebrew word for evil? Does anyone know? Ra. Yeah, we've got some Hebrew scholars out there. That's good. Okay. And uh, that also, uh, Ra, happens to be uh, the name of something else. It's the main God of the Egyptians, who is the God of 
the sun. That's right. So perhaps there is an intended pun in the Hebrew, like my intended pun a few minutes earlier, but this is, you know, God breathe. This is special, right? <laughs> okay. So Pharaoh is saying that the sun God, Ra, is opposing Moses in his face, who is who Moses is really up against, right? But he's no match for the God of heaven and earth, as we know. Pharaoh is supposed to be the incarnation of Ra, of this sun god. So he's he's opposing the Lord, and he's saying that, Moses, you are opposing this. This is what the force that you're up against. In Egyptian theology, the ion of the earth, the sun, was reborn every day. And what did they notice it, it did? It brought life and light to everything. So they thought, okay, this must be the, the most powerful force there is. They thought the sun was the source of light, right? Which kind of makes sense if you're just observing it. But that is one reason I think that Genesis was written the way it was written, to show us that the source of light is not the sun, right? It separates that. It's on day one. Who is the source of light? It's the Lord, right? It, the sun is just a created entity as brilliant and, and majestic as it is, it wasn't made until later. It's not supposed to be worshipped. It's an order of creation. The Lord is sovereign over. He is sovereign over the force of the sun and everything that that implied to the ancient people. Amen? God controls the sun. Sovereign over the sun. Bright and unlookable as it is. It is no match, Jem. And the same is anything else else we can the world right he is sovereign over the force he is discouraged parted by forces and powers that seem overwhelming not be in awe of the sun in our modernity right and replace it with god but there are other forces that we are in awe of in this world but they are no match for the creator of heaven and it would do us good every so often to stop and breathe and remember that God is sovereign. God is in control. Amen. The ninth plague, darkness, is not just a covering up of the sun. We get a sense that the light of the presence of God is totally separate from the sun, again, in this passage. This is from, uh, again, from Exodus 10. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for how long? Three days. They could not see one another, nor could anyone rise from his place for three days. Yet all B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, had light within their dwellings. This is a darkness that is felt, and the Hebrew implies that you can almost touch it, kind of like the, the Vantablack invention we were looking at earlier, right? The sun was covered over, there was thick darkness, and yet somehow Israel, not from the sun, how did they have light? They had light from the Lord. He was with them. But that is the end of the we who cling to the Lamb who reign, we are moving from death to resurrection life. You know, I realized this week that when we get frustrated um, and sometimes our speech doesn't always match 
that life that we're supposed to be speaking. And we have to remember that. It has to touch the light and the life that we experience. You know, I was joking about it before, but the radiance of light is in the face of heaven. Why is that? It's in all of our faces. See, I'm picking on you. It's in our faces. It shines faces. We have been rescued from chaos to order, right? We have been rescued from death to life, from slavery to freedom, from darkness to light. He should reflect that light. The light of Messiah in our words reflect that light in actions, and we should trust that that light is in us. The light of Messiah is the reason that we have hope. If the sun falls out of the sky, no big deal. You don't need it. That's what it says in Revelation. The Lord is our what? Light and our salvation. Let's say that together. You knew it was coming, right? The Lord is our light and our salvation. He was the light for Israel during three days of darkness all throughout their camp. His light shines upon you, within you, and you are radiant. You reflect his image, the brightness of his glory.